This is the Five Point Play Podcast, the diehard Duke basketball fans podcast. AC, they say that Duke basketball never sleeps, and we had all <laughs> kinds of off-season topics that we were going to discuss, but we had to put those in the bag because mm-hmm. so much is going on. What is going on at the point guard position for Duke? <laughs> Man, some things, some things. A, a wind is a blowing, is what they say, right? Yeah, no, that was a that was a nice a nice surprise in the sense of the timing to get to get Jeremy Roach the way the way that happened. Um, I, I love it, man. I, lo- I love the way he did it. Like, you know, any any more, most of these big time recruits are going to do some kind of marketing. I mean, you got to build your brand if you want to go to the NBA. So a video or something is nice, but the fact that he didn't spend, you know six weeks on Twitter saying, Hey, I'm about to commit like all that. Like it was that, that kind of sums up his personality. And I, I loved it, man. I think Duke, Duke fans are going to love Jeremy Roach. Um, by all accounts, the him coming off the ACL injury won't be a Harry Giles situation. So I'm really, I'm, I'm stoked, man. I'm stoked to have, I'm stoked to have him on board. He's, he's such a good player, such a great point guard. Yeah. And I know that you've watched him and, and know him very well being up in this area Mm-hmm. Uh, up in Fairfax, and and actually, just to, to table this, we have a couple of special guests coming on that Absolutely. are into uh, to the recruiting scene and have watched uh, Jeremy Roach as well. So we're going to get a lot of uh, angles at this. But before we get to Jeremy Roach, let's let's talk about the Boogie Ellis decommitment. And you know, and we did talk a little bit uh, about this with the Devils Illustrated guys that we just mentioned, but. You know, where do you land on this in terms of how much Trey coming back influenced Boogie's decision? I mean, I, I don't see how it I don't see how it couldn't have. I, I don't see how the combo of him coming back and cash is coming. I don't see how that couldn't have affected him. Like both both of those things combined. I think I, I don't think it's just one thing. I think these these guys see multiple things. I think the coaches talk to them. I think the parents, you know, they have their own idea about what it is they want for their kids somewhere you know there's there's so many factors in recruiting it's it's crazy and it's not it's not straightforward it's not as simple as oh i'm a fan of the team or you know all those things anymore it's never that simple so it, these guys are all trying to get to their end goal is they want to be professional basketball players this is their profession they go to college for that some people go for computer science they go for basketball so they want to be in the best situation so trey coming back absolutely was a huge impact on on what Boogie wanted to do because, you know, by all accounts, Boogie is a guy who wants to be, you know, he, if he's not the guy with the ball, he at least be, wants to be one of the guys with the ball. And with, with Trey back at Duke, that's not, that's not going to happen. Like we're not, we're not going to see Trey doing that. So it's not going to be a split time thing. No dual quarterbacks here. So um, it, it is what it is. And, you know, wish him well. I don't wish him any ill will because I love the kid's game and I really do wish he stuck it out at Duke, but, you know that, that extra shooter with some athleticism would have been wonderful for the squad, but you know we have to move on. And Duke has some pieces to absorb that loss. It's not like all is lost with Boogie Ellis coming out or decommitting or whatever. So you know it is what it is. Got to move on. Got to got to pick up the pieces. Yeah, and you know I thought that uh, the, the biggest trait that he was going to bring in is kind of that combo scorer that could have mm-hmm. played well with you know Trey Jones and and quite frankly in our last podcast. I felt like he was going to be, you know, challenging for that two-spot starting position. You know, I mm-hmm. really like this game. But, you know, he's probably going to go, you know, I guess to Memphis, out of sight, out of mind. Let's talk about Jeremy Roach, though, at the point guard position. Let's just say, you know, I don't expect this to happen. You certainly don't. Uh, we don't expect Trey Jones to come back for a third year. But let's just say he does. 
does that affect where Jeremy Roach is right now? Yeah, that may depend on what happens with him in his season this year with Paul to six. And the only reason I say that is because if he is sidelined longer than he expects or maybe has some setbacks or something, then, you know, kind of like NBA stock, NBA stock starts now in high school. So if, if his stock at all drops in any way, then maybe maybe his family sees it as an opportunity for him to go to Duke and not have so much pressure on him. He can have some limited time, kind of that, you know, that pitcher's count mentality and and come in come into a school that has an established point guard he can be the backup and he'll he would get plenty of time with alongside trey and he can score he can do other he has other parts of his game other than being a setup man so so maybe they see it as an opportunity like that yeah i I don't know as of right now i i know this commitment was made with the idea that trey is going to be gone after this season that is that that's the idea of this commitment so it, it it remains to be seen um I would hope that obviously I would hope that he would stick it out, but you know it, it, we'd have to we'd have to you know table this one and talk about it in March with more more information at that point. But um, you know for for all intents and purposes, this is a commitment that was made for made with Trey in mind of leaving. And if if he does happen to stay, he could work with him and he could work off of him. But with as many guards as they want to bring into this class, and with the possibility of a couple more guards still being on roster on Duke's roster already. And that might that might be a crowded room, so we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah, and again, we we both expect uh, Trey Jones to leave. Um, obviously, Duke's in a good position there. Uh, you know, the last thing I want to say about the the timing of the Roach decision. You know, we've all felt that Duke was the leader in the clubhouse, mm-hmm. but I I didn't expect him to pop. You know, when he did. Um, when we talked offline about this, the biggest thing to me was what this does for the rest of the class. You know, he's the point guard. He's going to be the leader. He gets the ball rolling. You know, we'll talk about the other guys, you know, with Clint and Brian coming up. But from your side of it, do you think that that was made for a reason, his commitment now to get those other, you know, pieces starting to move a little quicker? I, I absolutely think it helps. And 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 I don't – I think the days of – you know, coaching staff being being able to kind of push kids around and push their commitments that those days are a little bit of a thing of the past. So I don't I don't I don't see that Duke's staff was like, we need you to commit right now or we're going to look elsewhere type of thing. But because they because they, what they what they are seeing with this is they know Jeremy Roach is the guy that these other guys are going to want to come play with. Because Jalen Johnson, BJ Boston, those two aren't guys who are set up men themselves. Like Jalen can take the ball off the bounce all day long. He's he's kind of like Jason Tatum in that regard. But you know, BJ Boston's a guy who wants some setup time. He needs somebody to help him set up. So you know, those guys are going to want somebody. Walker Kessler is going to want somebody. So they know this. They know these things. So getting getting a point guard on on board early is definitely going to be helpful. Absolutely. And moving to the next play from the backcourt to the front court. This is kind of where we have a little bit of a disagreement here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, we still have, uh, the, I can't believe I'm saying this, the decision on Javin Delorier <laughs> uh, whether or not he's going to come back. Uh, and then yeah. obviously, uh, Marquise Bolden, what, what does he end up deciding to do? For the purpose of this first portion of this discussion, let's say that neither one of them comes back. I am of the opinion that that is near catastrophic for for our chances late in March with this team. I don't like the idea of having uh, Matthew Hurt have to play the four or heaven forbid the five. I just don't think that his body is ready 
for, for that kind of punishment. And I understand the game has changed. Um, there's not as many bruises anymore. There's a lot more, you know, stretch the floor kind of guys. I, I just think that if you're asking him to guard fours and fives, it's, it's not a recipe for success for Duke. I, I mean, ideally, I, I don't even know what's ideal with him, man, because he, and the pro, here's the problem I have with the only problem I have with putting him out on the perimeter on defense, other than obviously, you know, lateral, we can't, we can talk about lateral quickness issues and stuff like that all day long. His biggest strength on defense is his ability to, to alter shots and, and even, and rebound missed baskets. Like he's a, he's a really good rebounder kind of in-house. So outside of space, he, he hustles, but not so much, but in-house, he, he can kind of grab boards because of his length. But you know, so so let me let me let me be clear. Like I don't I don't want him in the post guarding Kalina as a bouquet. You know what I mean? But but at the very least, you know, keeping him somewhere near the lane is going to be helpful for this team, um, and, and not allowing teams to draw him out because because his length is such such a good option on defense, and it's a better option than his feet. So that's that's kind of where that's where I stand on where I want him guarding the ball, but. I mean, who knows with this, with the roster that we have and the possibilities and how versatile it is. I mean, he could very well play the three, and I know his, I know his dad wants him at the three because that's what they see him playing in the NBA. So, you know, we'll see what happens, and we'll see how workouts go in the summer. That was the thing that um, when he first was being recruited, and we talked a little bit about him, and then he finally committed. I understand the defensive challenges he would have guarding, you know, the three position. But either way, that's where he should be playing if Duke wants to be at their best. I always felt like folding at the five would have been ideal for this team. It allows mm-hmm. Terry to be at the four, and then you push Matthew Hurt to the three. He's going to be a matchup nightmare for other threes to guard. Uh, and then but with folding and playing the defense and with Trey up top, and then you have, you know, whether it's Cassius or Wendell Moore, you have a lot of defensive presence there where you can kind of hide in college not as easily in the NBA can you hide people but in college you can hide someone a little easier and I feel like you could have hid uh hurt a little easier if you had someone like Bolden you know back there rim protecting yeah yeah and and I mean Bolden Bolden being back definitely changes the game for rim protection like at that point that's not something hurt needs to do so then maybe his length becomes a strength on the perimeter a little bit and, and so, so those guys coming back is definitely going to change. It's going to change the landscape a little bit. Um, it, it hurt on offense is you know he's a he's a really good shooter at, at two levels. He he plays well around the rim. Uh, that's that's probably not the strongest part of his game, but then his handle is pretty good, so he can attack off the wing. But yeah, he, he's a chess piece that you can move around. He's that that cliche queen on the chessboard type of thing where he can play different spots and you can move him around and do different things with him. So, I mean, it's, it's a great get to have, and it's a great, he's a great problem to have for, for Duke in, in a lot of ways. So, you know, by, by no means do I not see a spot for him on the floor. It's just, you know, for this team to reach their, you know, their pinnacle on defense, it's, it just, it's going to depend a lot on the work he puts into it and, and how, how serious he is about changing that part of his game. And to wrap up this segment, I think we do have to discuss, and again, I can't believe we're saying this, where do you ultimately see uh, Javin and Quise, you know, next year? Is it in Europe? Is it in Hong Kong? Is it uh, in the G League? It certainly is not going to be in the NBA. So is it going to be in Durham? Where do you see both of those guys when the dust settles? 
it, it wouldn't make any sense for either one of those two to go overseas, in my opinion. I mean, I've I've never been a European professional basketball player, but as as a fan and as somebody who watches it and researches and such, like it, it you have to be pretty special to go overseas and and get exposed the type of exposure you want to be able to ultimately play in the NBA. And and most guys who don't aren't going to make it to the NBA anyway and go overseas aren't coming back. Like let's just be honest about that. So, in my opinion, their best bet is to come back. You know, try to have a good and healthy season at Duke where you're productive, you help your team win, you show you're a good leader because they're going to be senior leaders for this team with a lot of good young players. Sh- show your strengths because this team is so versatile, they'll be able to play to their strengths more so than they did the past couple of seasons. And and then go to Portsmouth after that and, and show out, if you can, show out at the Portsmouth Invitational because not being invited to the Combine is a red flag. Only one of them, Javin, being invited to the G League camp is a big red flag. Yep. And, you know, I mean, that's at, at the very least, if they're, if they're just hunting for knowledge about what they need to do, then good for them. Absolutely good for them. Go through this process, understand it so that when it is your time, then you're more prepared than the next guy. I get it. I love it. But if either one of them, I mean, it, it's their life. If they decide not to come back to Duke, that's on them. And there's there's an, there's something there about that. But. I, I can't I can't see either one of them keeping their name in the hat, let alone leaving the exposure you're gonna get at Duke following a Zion Williamson season and and not you know and, and not take advantage of that. So in my opinion, they both come back and you know, God help us all, hopefully they have, you know, really good and productive seasons. That and I, I hope uh, especially in the I'm I'm not so much worried about jabbing in this department, but I hope that, you know, they come back with the right attitudes. Uh, I hope that they're not sour, and I hope that they realize that, um, you know, this is probably the best play, as you said, for them to come back and, you know, just finish out the race and put yourself in a better position. And right now, as we can see, they're not going to get drafted. I mean, let's just be clear about that. Uh, you might get a, a summer league workout here or there, but the reality is you're not going to get drafted. You're, you're not going to make the squad. You'll be in the G League, and that's not as good as being a dude. So. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they'll come back, but, you know, we'll know by, what is it, May 29th? Yep. Yep, so we'll see. Um, all right, so getting to the, the next one. We haven't done this in a while. So I'm going to refresh everybody's memory. We have the five-point <laughs> play mailbag. And we did you did you know this? We actually have a sponsor for this. Oh, we finally got one. Yeah, well, while you were out, you know, drinking with your buddies, um, <laughs> I actually was on the phone dialing for dollars and getting a sponsor for the podcast. So we actually do have a sponsor. It is Trident Gum. Four <laughs> out of five dentists recommend what the hell happened to that fifth dentist. So <laughs> great question. That should have been one of the questions. But yeah, five-point play mailbag. Uh, and if you want to email us at the five-point play, that is five, the number five, point play podcast at gmail.com. Again, five, the number five, point play podcast at gmail.com. So the, the first question that came to us, and, and one that we haven't actually talked about too much, is Joey Baker, and where does he actually fit into next year's rotation and going forward? Do you see him, you know, and I've read an article by Steve Weissman um, at the News and Observer from Raleigh. He had him penciled in as a starter. Do you see him as a starter next year at any point? And, you know, kind of what kind of role do you see him playing? That's interesting because... So, you know, we, we kind of know how the game is played anymore, especially at, at a school like Duke. You're bringing in freshman, top freshman talent and everything else. And 
Joey, had he stayed in this class, probably would have been a top 20 caliber type of player easily. Like he was already, he was like number like 25, 26, something like that. And when he reclassified, he was up at like number 30 in the class he jumped up to. So he's, he was more than capable of being a guy that, you know, you can perceive being a really good player, but you know, now that he's had a season with the coaches, you know, maybe they were saving him a little bit. Maybe they weren't with his size and his shooting ability. It's something that they need. And I don't know that I'd pencil him in as a starter because they're going to need defense at some point. And that's something that he's definitely not. He and Matthew Hurt together on the floor at the same time. That's a defensive problem. So I, Matthew Hurt's going to get to start over Joey Baker, in my opinion. So I don't know that he's a starter, but he could he could be in that top eight, man. He could very he could very easily with his size and his shooting ability be in that top eight. And I, I don't know that, especially with Boogie gone now, that that's a spot that has opened up. Like that is that is definitely a spot. So it's there for somebody to take, whether it's him or Alex. So he's he's got he's got the intangibles for it, and he's got the measurables for it. So let's see if he can do it. Yeah, it would be a, a great surprise if he's you know pushing for a starting position. That means mm-hmm. that the competition is fantastic, and it means that he's really developed over the. Uh, over the summer, which I, I think he, uh, another year in the weight room, um, you know, this is his true freshman class. And obviously we, we wish he would have kept the red shirt, but that's irrelevant at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully he can come in and, and really push for, for a starting spot. I'd like to see him be, you know, kind of that sixth, seventh man score off the bench. And I think that that's really where Duke wanted to have him. Once Zion went down and they inserted him, I think they wanted to have that that floor spacer, and I hope yeah. now you know with a year under his belt, uh, playing against those guys, RJ, Cam, in practice every single day. I hope that now you know he can kind of take that next step and, and be a productive scorer. So our, our next question uh, this is a pretty quick one: Trey Jones three point percentage next year. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um. Above thirty. Well, I hope definitely above 30. Um, I, I think that, what would you be what would you be you know happy with somewhere around that 32 percent range I so I, I think I would be happy with 35 because 35 means that he can no longer be just slacked off on like you have to take yeah. you have to take care of him on defense which most people can't just take care of him on defense unless they're gonna just play off of him totally and make him shoot threes. So, and what thirty-five percent also means to me is that he's shooting it efficiently, a little more efficiently at least, and he's hopefully hitting more than one a game. And, you know, as was the case this year with only three games with him shooting more, making more than one three. So, you know, the the difference between twenty-nine percent and thirty-two percent is kind of negligible over a whole season, but thirty-five percent is a pretty big jump, especially if you're going to put all that work in. And that to me, that's that's what's that's going to be good for him. So. I'd like to see him in the 35% range, and I don't, I don't see why it can't be done because Sean Dockery did it. So if Doc can do it, Trey can do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that, yeah, I mean, even, even Tyler Thornton to an extent, even Greg yeah. Hollis to an extent. I mean, those guys continue to get better every single year and turn themselves into guys that you couldn't leave alone from the three-point line. I don't know that he takes that big of a jump, but if you can get into that 34 to 36% range, you know, that's good enough uh, for, for everything else that he does on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, the last one, and this is kind of a, a tricky one, you know, with the Boogie LSD commitment, you know, he, the, the person that they sent this one in talks about, 
um, you know, having a development type of kid. You know, we felt like Boogie Ellis was a two, three-year type of player. Mm-hmm. Is there anybody in the next class that you kind of view as that two, three-year player that can develop at two? That they are looking at right now? No. Um, all the guys that are that they're looking at are presumably in that one and done conversation. Jeremy Roach, if he has a really good season with his athleticism and things like that, he's a one and done type of guy. Brandon Boston, one and done, he's a one and done for sure. Jalen Johnson is in, in going to be in the conversation for number one pick territory. Uh, Walker Kessler with his size and shooting ability, that's a one and done candidate. Mark Williams is the only one that right now that they're really really pursuing. That seems like a, a, a two or three, maybe even four year kid. If, if they go a different route, if they bring in, you know, it depends on who they bring in. If they, if they can get Harry, Henry Coleman from UVA, that's, but again, he's, he's, he's more of an interior type of player. On the perimeter right now, there's really not Caleb Love, maybe, but he's not going to come with Roach there. Like they don't really have any of those kind of two to three year combo guys. So the, 20, the 2021 recruiting is going to be interesting to see what guards Duke starts looking at. Cause they really have with 2020, they've gone all in with some, some really big name guys. And then when those kids come in, you have presumably have a senior Alex O'Connell, a junior Joey Baker, presumably. Yeah. So, and, and who knows if cash just sticks around. So well, that and, and, and even Matthew Hurt, there's right, a chance right. Matthew Hurt sticks around. So. Because we're not really looking at any bigs. That's the other part of it. Like, well, that's, that's, yeah, that's, really the, that's really the whole thing. And, and that's why I kind of like the question. It was kind of a choppy question, but it actually opens up to a, a, a greater discussion because I actually think we have a couple guys on the roster now that are yeah. those developmental guys. Right, right. This class, it, this this recruiting class is already not a great recruiting class in general. Like they're, they, they're not, they don't compare to the past three or four classes that have come through right. um, in, in terms of, you know, transcendental talent. So yeah. Are there still going to be guys in this class who go one and done? Of course, because you got to have bodies. So, you know, there's going to be freshmen who go one and done, but Wendell Moore could have a decent season and I could still see him potentially being, you know, maybe a two-year guy, but you know, as good as he is, you you'd hope for the season that we need him to have. He's a one and done. Um, Cassius, Cassius Stanley is a guy that uh, could could be that one and done type of guy because of his athleticism. But you know, does he stick around for two to to work on his shot more and to work on some other parts of his game more? We'll see. Like you know, so there's there's definitely some. And and you mentioned Matthew Hurt. He is definitely a guy that, depending on how the season goes for him could be you know built up or exposed a little bit and that could change how quickly his timetable goes so you know we've talked kind of ad nauseum now on this podcast about the the two and three year recruiting cycle and the fact that k is not recruiting many big guys for this next class leads me to believe that there's something in there's something there there's something in the works there where someone who can who can fill the void there at the four spot a little bit is going to be around again. So whether that's Joey Baker and he sees that, or whether it's Matthew Hurt, whatever, like it, it's it's going to be interesting to see where that goes. Yeah, it, I, I like this two-year window, though. I like the fact that we have a couple guys on the roster this year that could potentially stick around, mm-hmm. uh, and then you load up on, you know, because it seems like the 2020 class is, is much stronger than this current class. So um, bring those kind of, you know, quote unquote, transcendent guys in mm-hmm. next year and have them play with really talented guys that have been around for a little bit. 
And that wraps up the five-point play mailbag. Appreciate everybody sending in their questions. Now let's get to our special guest of the week, Devils Illustrated, the Rivals Network from Yahoo Sports, uh, Brian Maplehorn, the publisher, managing editor, and the famous Clint Jackson, the lead recruiting analyst. Did I get that right, fellas? You did. All right, Clint, let's do it. Let's just jump in here with two feet. The elephant in the room, Boogie Ellis. What happened there? We've heard a lot of rumors about the fact that possibly it could be Trey Jones returning. Possibly it could be the Cassius Stanley recruitment. Maybe a mix of both. Where do you stand on this one? Well, I mean, obviously there's always going to be rumors with recruiting and there's going to be stuff that we, you know, talk about on the record and stuff that the kids talk about on the record. And then some of the stuff that's kind of, you know, kind of kept off the record. But, I, I, you know, at the end of the day, the kid, you know, he, he's labeled a combo guard or a lead guard or one of those terms that everyone likes to use this day, like being a primary ball handler, but also being a scorer. And I think having Trey Jones back, Trey Jones is always going to be the point guard. Like you don't use really Trey off the ball. You don't run him as a two. You don't, you know, run him off screens and, and get shots for him. So I think he kind of saw that, all right, Trey's coming back. He's going to be the point guard. The ball's going to be in his hands. And there's some really dynamic wings, you know, at Duke with with Wendell Moore and, you know, even getting Matt Hurt, who's going to play the three at Duke primarily, primarily some three and some stretch four. But um, guys that are going to be on those wing spots getting shots and then cast to Stanley. So I think in the end, you know, the situation sort of changed when Trey Jones came back because he was expected to leave after this year. And I think early in the early part of the year, his stock was probably high enough to be in those conversations. But then later in the year when he really had trouble knocking down shots and had a little bit of trouble with consistency, I do think his, his stock dropped a, dropped a little bit. So I guess just to make sense of it at the end of the day, I look at it pretty simply. Boogie Ellis just wanted to to go to a program where he could probably have a little bit more um, ball handling responsibility and probably a little bit more playing time. So the, the, the thing that I always have as a follow-up to that, though, and, and obviously I wasn't there for the recruitment portion, you know, back in the summer and the fall for Boogie Ellis. So even if he was told that, you know, they expect Trey to leave, I was always under the impression that R.J. Hampton would ultimately reclassify if that were to happen. If Trey were to go, then R.J. Hampton would reclassify. You would think that Boogie would understand that, no? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's always a lot of ifs, ands, and buts with right. recruits. Even if a recruit tells you something or a recruit's parent tells you something, you can't always trust it. There's a lot of gamemanship in recruiting. There's a lot of throwing the scent off. There's a lot of, uh, you know, leveraging. There's a lot of uh, fake narratives. So, you know, R.J. Hampton was interested in Duke. Obviously, he did not go there once Trey Jones decided to stay. One of the things that I always remembered, uh, Brian and I go out to USA Basketball pretty much every October and we get a lot of good FaceTime and build a lot of strong relationships with some of these kids' parents. And and Rod Hampton is a guy that I'd really hit it off with. And one thing that he always told me, he said, wherever RJ goes, we're going to want the ball in his hands. Right. And RJ, unlike Trey, is a guy who can play on or off the ball. Sometimes I actually think he's better off the ball, but that's, you know, that's what he wants. So he's going to go to a situation, you know, there's, 300 and some D1 schools out there, and there's a lot of schools that are willing to say, hey, if you come here, you know, we'll, we'll use you as the primary point guard, even though you're, you know, one, even though you're a great scorer. Yeah, I, th I think there's no doubt, and I'm sure both of you agree, the, the ideal situation would have been 
you know, Orange and Trey playing together, I think as a Duke fan, we've seen, you know, in the past how great, you know, Kay is with, you know, a point guard and a combo guard like that and how successful they are. So that would have been kind of uh, fun for us to, to, to watch. But, you know, kind of moving on, Duke actually did just pick up a commitment. And while I won't say it's a total surprise, uh, I think maybe, Brian, the timing of Jeremy Roach picking Duke was a little bit of a surprise. Yeah, that kind of that caught us off guard a little bit. We weren't really expecting it just yet. Um, you know, it, it was kind of, it was it was a little. Clint can speak to this a little bit more. He's talked to Jeremy um, a little bit, but you know, one of the things that caught me off guard with it a little bit is Jeremy's always been a guy that's really been calculated and who's been structured in his process and that really uh, takes a uh, a really cerebral p- approach to it all. He's not a, a guy that jumped the gun, so. It was a little surprising to see when it happened, but I'll tell you what, when, when you look at it, I, to me, this is as big of a get uh, as Duke could, could ask for. I, I know that Rivals has him ranked number 20. Uh, I, don't, I don't have anything to do with the, the rankings, but personally, from the full package standpoint, I rank him higher than that, uh, just because this guy brings the full package. And uh, Clint mentioned the USA basketball stuff. We, we watched him pretty extensively last October, and automatically just right out of the gates he jumps off the page and we're talking about him playing with some of the best in the country and the the thing that jumps off the page is how he commands an offense how he commands respect from his teammates how he understands the game he's got such a high basketball iq and he knows how to create things and make things happen on the floor he's a he is a point guard first he is not a guy that is looking for his right out of the gates but having said that this guy can score the basketball too and uh, yeah, I love him. I, I think it's a great fit for Duke, and I think with Trey Jones likely jumping to the NBA next year, he is the perfect guy to step in and kind of take the reins because he might not be the Trey Jones defender, but he's a good defender. And it allows Coach K to continue that trend back upward in building good defensive teams. And I, I love it. And, you know, Clint can speak to it a little more, but I think it's as big of a get as, as you could ask for at this point. Yeah, and I and I concur with a lot of what Brian said. You know, one of my favorite things about Jeremy Roach is, you know, there's a lot of point guards who look good playing fast, like in a chaotic AU game, because they have the speed, they have the handle, they can get to the rim, they're athletic, all those things that are easy to show off um, in the AU setting. But then you watch him play for Paul Six. Paul Six plays in Fairfax, Virginia, about two hours from my front door. So I've gotten to see him in both a structured high school setting as well as AU and then as well as USA basketball, like Brian said, against the best kids in the country. He, he looks good in a, in a half-court offense. He reads the high pick and roll really well. He understands pace, change of speeds, when to burst, when to slow down, when to pull up, you know, when to step back and, and reset the offense. So he's got that high IQ um, in the half-court setting. And then also he can, he can burn up and down the floor and push the tempo and, and I think having guys that can do that at Duke just just translates so well because when you play teams like Virginia, you know, you're going to have to be structured. You're going to have to run an offense. You're going to have to, you know, hunt for good shots and make good passes. One of the biggest things about Jeremy Roach is having that point guard on board first is a big piece of the puzzle for a lot of these other recruits. Matthew Hurt's dad told me Trey Jones coming back to Duke was part of what clinched it for Duke because that was a pretty close race. And now that you're getting Jeremy Roach on board, even though he may not be the top 
rated point guard in the country. I know he's up there. He is going to be the best passer and the best setup guy out of all those guys. And when you're looking at, you know, guys like B.J. Boston on the wing and guys like Walker Kessler who can, you know, step out and shoot, those guys are going to want to play with a point guard who's going to get them the ball and not just get them the ball, but get them the ball at the right time. You know, give them, when they're coming off the curl, when they're when they're setting up so they can get that, that shot in the flow of the offense. So this is a huge commitment. Make no mistake, a five-star point guard this early in the game just sets the just sets the pace for a successful recruiting class for Duke. Yeah, and you just kind of set the table for where I wanted to take this conversation. But before I do that, is there a player – I know people love player comparisons. Is there a player comparison for, for Roach that, that you guys particularly like? That's a tough one. <laughs> I'm trying to th- – I don't – there's not a dead ringer for me. He handles the ball. It's hard to, to, to pick one guy. Uh, you know, I see a lot of his ability to, to control the offense like a Trey Jones, but they're, they're, at the same time they're not the same player. So it's tough for me. I don't know if Clint's got a dead ringer, but you know, it's tough for me to kind of pinpoint a guy. Hey, you were, I was using your talking to buy some time to think, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of put you guys on the spot. Yeah, I was uh, – you know, the, 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 I – when you give a player comparison and then and then a kid steps on the floor, they almost expect to see the same thing. I don't have a to use Brian's term a dead ringer for him either. I do think in the half court set offense he reads he reads the game. He's he's not Trey Jones. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of even Duke point guards. He he's he's he doesn't remind me of Bobby Hurley. He doesn't remind me of Jay Williams. He doesn't remind me of Chris Duhon, Greg Paulus. I I don't have a, a dead ringer for him. Um, I do think in the half court game he's going to be very similar in size to Trey Jones. They got him listed at six foot. I think he's almost six two. Okay. Um, at this, but he's not a really long, tall guy. He's he's kind of average in stature, but he can play above the rim. I mean, it's nothing for him to come down on the fast break and tomahawk dunk at six one or whatever he is. Yeah, but, I, there might not be a comparison, and I put you guys on the spot. I, I know people love him. I I, I don't think that there's always a a necessity for for there to be a a perfect comparison, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, I, and I can think about that, but that's that's a that's a, that's a great question. I know people love that, and I respect that question. I just I just don't have anybody front of mind right now to compare him to. But you know, it's one of those things where I may wake up on a Tuesday morning and be going to work, and then all of a sudden it hits me, and then I'm going to want to jump on the board and say, "This is who he reminds me of." Right, so and that, then you'll call you'll call how, back into the Five Point Play podcast and want us all know about it. Yeah, we'll have another at that point, and you know, and that's that's sort of how my brain. I mean, you know, Brian, me and Brian have known each other for a long time, and and I'm sort of a goofball, and so a lot of times at these AAU events, you know, we're we're over there laughing, and you know, we're we're watching the games and paying attention, but we're, we we have a good time, and we and we laugh a lot and cut on each other, and and sometimes just in the middle of that, we'll we'll get serious and go, you know, who he reminds me of, and he'll say something or I'll say something, and from then that's sort of who we who we who we call him, you know, who we compare him to. <laughs> well, we'll let, you guys think about, <laughs> we'll let you think about that, but let's do uh, talk about the, the point you just brought up. And, and this was really when, when he committed, I almost thought to myself, you know, Kay probably, you know, Kay may have pushed him to say, hey, you know what, you're the point guard of the future here. We want you to get this thing rolling. And I know in the past, you know, we always talk about package deals. You know, we talk about, you know, Tyus and Jaleel, you know, to a certain extent, uh, Tatum and, and Harry Giles, uh, Gary Trent and Wendell Carter, uh, you know, Trey Jones and, and you know, Pam 
uh, and then kind of leading into Zion and RJ. Um, now, is, is, is Jeremy Roach going to be the guy? Is he going to be the catalyst to get this thing going? Does he have any, you know, we, we can talk about a lot of these guys, the DJ Bostons, the Jalen Johnsons, Tommy Barnes, Walker Kessler, uh, even Mark Williams. Does he have a, a really solid relationship with those guys that when, when he says, hey, I'm going to Duke, this, it's just going to start to snowball? Well, I actually I interviewed um, Jeremy Roach this morning, and I, I haven't put it together and given it to Brian yet, but it'll probably run on the site, I imagine, in the next couple of days. Um, I actually asked him, you know, who are you looking to bring with you? And he had three names at the forefront of his mind, and those names were B.J. Boston, Walker Kessler, and Jalen Johnson. Now, there are, more, there are obviously more targets on the Duke radar than that, but those were the three guys off the top of his head. And I said, anyone else? He goes, right now, those are the big – those are the big three I'm thinking about. So um, I don't sense that Jeremy Roach, um, just his personality, he, he's more he's more more laid back in his personality, more more modest. I don't sense he's going to be a guy to aggressively recruit those kids, but his presence there will help recruit those kids. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, to me, that kind of sounds like you know Trey Jones when they sent out that you know famous uh, or the second famous, I guess, uh, text chain. You know, it doesn't seem like Trey is that guy that is going to be, you know, up in your face trying to recruit you, but being that, that kind of that leader that wants to get you all in a room, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think out of, you know, when you think of point guards who kind of put together a class, Tyus was very aggressive and very, um, you know, out there. He was, a, he was a vocal marketer to bring in right. kids to Duke and, you know, bringing in Justice Winslow and bringing in Jaleel Okafor and, and, and Grayson Allen, those guys, like he was, he was the quarterback to bring that class together. In fact, a lot, not a lot of people know it was very close for Julio Okafor. Duke at one point almost lost him, and Tyus, you know, secured that. So I mean, yeah, you got to give the Duke coaches credit, but you know, having that guy who's the centerpiece of the class that can pull it all together is really important. So we'll see if Roach is that guy. I don't sense that he's as vocally um, out there as like Tyus, but again, his presence, like here's a guy. Anybody can go watch this kid. They watch him at USA. They watch him. He won the Peach Jam. Or he, yeah, he won the Peach Jam last year. So a lot of people have seen Jeremy Roach play, and you hear people say, I'd really love to play with a guy like that because it's always more appealing when you're a wing scorer or you're a big man who likes to pop out and shoot and get the ball at the right time. It's more appealing to play with a pure point guard than it is with a guy who's you know, trying to get up 25 shots a game. Right. Um, and can, can you talk a little bit, uh, either of you, about uh, the game of both B.J. BJ Boston and Jalen Johnson? Because I feel like those are the two names that most often get thrown out there as being, you know, perfect fits for, for Duke. Yeah, and, and B.J., uh, Brian and I watched a lot of B.J. Boston in USA. I've seen a little bit of Walker Kessler, but we've seen B.J. Boston a lot, probably almost as much as Jeremy Roach. Um, and I'll let Brian throw in his thoughts as well. But B.J. Boston, he is that useful, skinny, extremely long shooter. So Duke has a very much has a type that they like. And we can almost sometimes go to USA Basketball and watch, like, the young freshmen and then the sophomores and, and pick out who Duke's going to recruit. Like, we saw, you know, Michael Porter Jr., and we're like, oh, that kid, Coach K is going to love that kid. Now, that wasn't a good fit for him. But that's the kid that Coach K would have loved to have gotten. Um, you know, we wa- we watch these guys play, and we're just like, "Yep, there's a Duke kid." And 
what I normally say the easiest way to put it is a guard and a forward's body, a guard and a long forward's body. So if you see that six, seven, six, eight, six, nine guy who can dribble and shoot on the perimeter and get to the basket and they have that long, you know, rangy sort of physique, those are the guys that Duke loves to recruit. And BJ Boston, you know, he's a big time shooter with a lot of length, tremendous amount of upside. He's almost like a, like a young Brandon Ingram with a little bit more speed. That's who he reminds me of. And, and I, I could definitely see where Duke likes him. And I'll, I'll kick it to Brian because he saw a lot of Boston as well. Yeah, I think, I think to piggyback a little bit on what Clint said, the, the, the Brandon Ingram comparison is brought up almost any time I talk to anyone about B.J. Boston. I mean, in fact, B.J. brings it up. That's kind of the pitch from Duke is, you know, the, the Brandon Ingram. You know, I don't, I don't see – I see it. Obviously, from a frame standpoint, there is a lot of similarities. I mean, they, they're one and the same, that tall – long skinny guy um brandon was a little bit maybe more of a guy that would uh attack the basket maybe a little more than bj boston would but i think the thing that sticks out with me about bj is he's so fluid uh he just he's he really makes things look easy and that length he understands how to use it to his advantage particularly on the perimeter when he's shooting the ball and he, he plays well without the ball in his hands he can find opportunities to uh get open uh, you know, that's a skill. That's an art. You know, I mean, not everybody can do that. Uh, it sounds really simple and basic, but he really understands how to create opportunities for himself and space to find that shot. Uh, it doesn't really need a lot because he is fluid. He's he really he really does a good job catching and shooting. Um, but I, I think he's he's a dynamic player, and it's really that length that sets him apart. Um, but you know, that that Brandon Ingram comparison. You know, there's certainly a lot of similarities there, uh, but definitely some individual components that BJ brings to the table that Brandon didn't. And, you know, I, I think part of that, even though Brandon could shoot the ball, BJ is certainly more of an efficient guy from that standpoint. But, um, you know, he really gives Duke that guy. Like Clint said, that's the, we, we can really sit down in a gym, look out on the cor- court and just pick guys out. And sure enough, you know, over over time, if they're not on Duke's radar yet, they'll be there. And BJ was one of those guys when we first saw him. Like that's the guy Coach K will be after. And you know, and once you see him play, it makes even more sense. But I think he uh, he's a guy that would benefit greatly from Jeremy Roach. You know, back to Clint's point earlier about Jeremy Roach being able to recruit guys. BJ Boston is absolutely a guy that can look at this this class and say Jeremy Roach will make opportunities for me to score the basketball and be an impact player and increase my stock as a player at Duke. So, um, man, Duke could get him. It'd be, it'd be a big, big, big get for them. All right. Well, we know that we both got to get out of here. So I'm going to ask one final question. I'm going to put you both back on the spot. Um, who is Duke's next recruit to commit? Clint, you go with that one first, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, ah, that's a tough one. I, 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 uh, there's about four names that are in that discussion. I would say Jalen Johnson from Wisconsin is a guy we need to keep an eye on. I think they're doing a great job with Walker Kessler, who's a who's a who's a big guy who can shoot threes and um, has been compared to a, to a young Christian Leitner. Um, Mark Williams is a is a guy that they just offered from Norfolk. He's a seven foot one, long, rangy shot blocker, limited limited strength, but he has 
gotten a little bit stronger over the year. He's he's got a lot of upside um, out of Norfolk. His sister was one of the best players ever at Duke and plays in the WNBA. And then BJ Boston. So those are the four guys on my radar. If you're gonna make me pick, like gun to my head, I could be wrong. <laughs> I may go with Walker Kessler or Mark Williams. Well, he tried to he tried to dodge the question, so Brian, you get the last word. He did great, um, wonderful. I'm stoked about that. Uh, <laughs> I will go with um, even though I'll admittedly say I don't I don't have a lot of background with this guy. I haven't seen him play much, and I haven't spoken to him very much. But I'm going to say Jalen Johnson is the first guy to pull the trigger. Ryan, we'd be lucky with either one of them, uh, but we were lucky to have both of you guys on here. Really appreciate you guys coming on the Five Point Play Podcast, and hopefully I didn't screw it up too too bad without my, uh, my point guard AC on here, so hopefully you guys will come back again. Absolutely, Absolutely. man. We appreciate you having us. All right, thank you to, to our guest this week. That was awesome. Uh, AC, I wish you could have been there. I know, man. <laughs> I, had, I had daddy duty, man. I had to, I had to take care of some stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, whatever you got to do, uh, you, you were not missed. Uh, not at all. Had, not at all. You know, obviously, you know, much like at the end of the year where Coach K had Zion and RJ just going one on one, I was fine going one on two. You know, with, with our guests this week. But no, seriously, thank you to, to Brian and Clint, and, and hopefully they'll they'll join us again. Um, but for our final topic of the podcast. Let's kind of finish up where they started there, talking about who do you believe will be Duke's next commit and why? I'm th- I'm thinking it's going to be Jalen Johnson. His timetable seems to be moving pretty quickly. He he released his top four and everything else. Mo- most of these guys, the, the NCAA changed that rule to where juniors can take their official visits and such. So most of you guys have already taken some form of visit to to either most of the schools on their lists or all of them. And I, I think that's one of the be- the best rule changes the NCAA has made since they went to the three point line, quite honestly. But um, yeah, I, I'm I, I I do I think I like I like the idea of, of Jalen Johnson being the next commit in terms of the way his timetable has moved and who he's going to bring with him. Like you guys are going to want to play with that kid. They love him on, on all the circuits. They they love playing with that guy. So I, I, it's Jalen Johnson for me. That's what I think. Yeah, I, I think that that's the case as well. But to be different, uh, and, and by the way, the reason I think that Jalen Johnson is, like you said, he named those top four uh, programs. I think anytime that happens, it, the kid has a pretty good idea of where he wants to go. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, being in that, that mold of Jason Tatum, I think that he's going to be a guy that the rest of the, of the group, you know, target and say, you know, we want to join up with him. Um, just to be different, I'm going to throw uh, B.J. Boston in there. I think that, um, you know, he fits Duke so well. Uh, Brian and Clint talked about his game, so yep. uh, I think he would fit absolutely perfect uh, within our system. And, and having him at the two uh, or even the three, if he continues to grow, uh, would be just a phenomenal uh, asset next to Jalen Johnson. So mm-hmm. uh, hopefully that happens. Either, either way, we are lucky to get either of them, and I think yeah. if we get both. So, I don't yeah. think I, I I still wouldn't even sleep on Mark Williams, quite honestly. Yeah, no, I, just because just because he's a he's a legacy. He's a, he's a Duke legacy, yeah. and you know he lives in the area with at Norfolk. Like, I, and with a kid like that, you know, a kind of a a, a mid a mid ranked center, 
those guys usually try to hedge their bets a little earlier than other people. Yeah. So if he can if he can take advantage of the offer while he has it, I mean, I I don't see why that wouldn't happen. And Elizabeth left Duke in great standing. It's not like they left like the school, you know, in 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 bad standing. She loves you know Coach McCauley or whatever. Like it. it I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised to see him go either. And he's 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 a decent player. It'll be interesting to see where he goes. It's, it's how his career progresses. Yeah, we, we'd love to have him. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, top four next. That'd be great. And and you know, with Jeremy Roach coming out of nowhere in terms of timing, uh, it yep. gave us an idea here at the Five Point Play Podcast for an EPC. What is an <laughs> EPC, AC? It is an emergency podcast. EPC an emergency podcast. So Correct. if you do happen to get a uh, recruit uh, popping for Duke, uh, unbeknownst to us, you know, in terms of timing, we will be right there for you. We will fire up an EPC, OTPC on the podcast. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know how I got all those uh, acronyms <laughs> a lot of there, acronyms but there, I, man. <laughs> but I got them all in. Um, but this was an awesome episode. Uh, we're not going anywhere, but I do want to give one big shout out, and that is to my mom. Happy Mother's Day. She's yep. a big fan of the Five Point Play podcast. So I want to give a shout out to her. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Yep, same thing. Happy Mother's Day to my mom, my wife. Happy Mother's Day. Mother-in-laws, everything, man. Yeah, Great time of year. You can't, can't forget any of them. Nope. Because <laughs> it's trouble right, if you and, do. And, and, and a shout-out to our favorite Duke mom, Debbie Jones. Keep Absolutely. fighting. And go yep. Duke. Go Duke. Go Duke.